Hey everyone, I'm Justin Fiedler and this is Dirt Tracker Conversations. If you've been to or tuned into the Chili Bowl, the Lucas Oil ASCS National Tour, or any number of other events, you've probably heard Brian Holbert on the microphone. He's got a recognizable voice and might be one of the hardest working people in dirt racing. Besides being an announcer, he also does press for the various series he works for and a number of drivers. He joins this week to talk about his journey from New Mexico short tracks to today, his style on the microphone, and much more. Check out my conversation with Brian Holbert. Brian, what do we call you? Are you just series announcer for the Luxo ASCS Chili Bowl? I mean, do you have some other, like, bigger, longer title that maybe we don't know about? Uh, officially publicist, but, okay. um, you know, I, I I announce, but I also do the PR side of it. I do the marketing side of it, the ad design. So it's, it's kind of pretty much whatever they want me to do. Um, I've even been known to go out and chop trees down after a storm. So it's uh, it just... You know, it's whatever they, I try to fill in wherever. So, I mean, are you like a full-time employee? Are you contract? Like, I mean, how does that work for you uh, with all of the things that you do? I'm actually full-time with ASCS, which is actually EFH company is the parent name of it. And through that, that also entails the chili bowl, the shootout. So I'm at the office full-time, obviously, when I'm not on the road with the American Sprint Car Series. And, you know, we kind of work all year long to to just get ready for about a month out of the year is what it feels like because with the shootout and Chili Bowl, I, I feel like we put in more hours and more work within those two events than we do the entire season of traveling. Um, do you, as, as the ASCS, do you guys have the best beards in dirt racing because i feel like you and matt ward have just like really <laughs> epic beards i feel like matt ward's one of those guys that like keeps his wallet in there like it just it's crazy the the nice beards that are going on with your series well, i've never heard any chirping but you know there we never rule out any wildlife but it's uh i i don't know about him but my whole deal is i hate shaving so it's easier just to keep a beard and if you look at a picture of my father when he was the same age as me, it's terrifying how similar we look. So he he never shaved, and I just when I got old enough to shave, it was just a pain in the butt. I didn't like it, so here we are. Um, kind of going back to the beginning, uh, you know, d- does a young Brian Holbert dream of one day being a dirt racing announcer? Or like, what what does that kind of journey into that look like? When I was younger, you know, like every other kid, I, I wanted to race. I wanted to be in a race car. And I made a promise to my mom a long time ago that I would not do that. And in turn, I also made a promise to my dad. You know, the deal with my dad was, if you're going to be in a race car, well, I hope somebody else is paying for it because it wasn't going to be one of his. And Not that he was being mean, but we really couldn't afford to put me in a race car, especially when I had two other brothers and two sisters. So... You know, they raced hobby stocks for a while, but that they were they were better as mechanics. And that's not take away from my brothers. They very talented drivers, but you know, my brother Tony was a is a tinker mechanic, we call him, and that's what he does for a living, is he's a he's a mechanic by trade. So he was the fuel guy, he was the engine guy, and then my other brother is he was the shock guy, he was the tire guy, and of course my dad was the crew chief and when I realized I wasn't going to be able to be on track, I started looking at other avenues and I always really enjoyed listening to the announcer at the track I grew up at it in Las Cruces. His name is Alan Moore. And he was one of those guys that can make flies bumping into a window sound exciting. 
he was just so fun to listen to. And, and I really, really enjoyed Alan. and got to know him and kind of a little background on him. Alan had polio as a kid, so he did not have the use of his legs, but he had an incredible rate. And I say had, he's still, it's, he's not past tense. He is still around. He has an incredible radio voice. And that's actually what he does today is he works in radio. Um, but I listened to him growing up and it was always just amazing. You know, it, like he commanded everybody. If he said, stand, you stood. If he said, sit, you sat. And, you know, he was exciting. He could make any race just sound like he was the most incredible thing you ever saw. And, you know, I thought that was just really, really neat how you could convey that kind of excitement and, and be basically have the best seat in the house. And as I got older, I would, you know, imitation is the, is the sincerest form of flattery and I would imitate. And when I got old enough, I was working in the pits and, and scraping the mud and mountain tires and helping my brothers and helping my dad. One night, the track manager, this was in 2006, her name is Holly Jones, and her father, Royal, and his business partner, Jimmy Ray, are the ones that had Southern New Mexico Speedway. She was trying to pit report and be the manager and you know run the front and do this and do that, and I jokingly said to her one night when she couldn't get a hold of the announcer up top because they were just it was kind of a chaotic night i said oh hell give me the mic well she took me seriously and the next weekend she actually had me come in it was el paso speedway park was their other racetrack and that's where i started as a trackside reporter and you know did our big modified shows and for about half of 2007 that's what i did is i was the trackside guy and if you think i'm loud now you should hurt me then um i, I could have made wwe you know sound quiet but about midway through the season the announcer at the time his name is henry gary he he quit and so i took over my first night as an announcer in las cruces was 7707 so I, I took over then and, you know, announced there all the way through 2011. And in 2000, kind of backing up a little bit, in 2010, the national tour came through at the end of the season on their way out to Arizona. And that's where I met Scott and Scotty and Donna and, and Tommy and Lonnie at the time. And I was calling the modified race. Justin Zock came down and he was calling the sprint cars. And probably if it hadn't been for Johnny and Stormy Scott and uh, another driver named Tommy Meyer Jr. just putting on a heck of a show, I don't know if they ever would have looked twice at me. And when I came back after the first night, Scott looked up, you know, caught up with me. And he went, so uh, you ever thought about doing this for a living? And, uh, you know, I'm going, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I'm, I'm nobody from nowhere in Podunk, New Mexico. I mean, you're you're crazy asking me that. But in the back of my head, I'm going, oh, yeah. You know, it's the greatest dream ever is to get paid to go to the races. And he goes, you need to turn in a resume. And I'm like, oh, come on, man. You know, I'm a dumb kid just out of college. What are you talking about? And uh, then Donna came up later, and she asked me the same question. I was like, oh, okay, I need to take this a little more seriously. So I, I turned in a resume, and actually started part-time in 2011 and my first national tour race was out in California to Larry. So I did to Larry and Hanford out there and then came back and did two nights at Tucson and finished the season in Southern New Mexico and West Texas and went down or 
backed up. I went out and did a show for Scott Trailer in Kansas City at Granny Valley. After that, I did a three-night show at Lone Star Speedway, and then we had the Devil's Bowl after that. And at the Devil's Bowl in 2011 for the Winter Nationals is where I got hired full-time. And started 2012 just going, and I've been you know here ever since. And it's, it's one of those deals – you know, even when I'm having a, a bad day or it just seems like it's been a terrible night of racing or anything else, you know, it's kind of like the old joke, a, a bad day fishing is better than the best day at work. Well, a bad day being on the road, basically getting to do what was my hobby and always was kind of a dream of mine, but getting paid to do it. I'll take this over a, over a desk job any day. You know, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize the amount of time and, and research and work that goes into actually doing this, the, the announcings, that's the fun part. And, you know, I've even heard Johnny Gibson say that where that's the fun part. It's, it's everything else leading up to it. That's the actual work. When you kind of think back over your, your rise kind of to where you are today and, and, you know, you, you talk about Johnny Gibson there and, and, you know, you look at guys like Tony Botkoven or James Essex or, you know, any number of guys across the dirt racing landscape, I think everybody has like a really kind of distinct style. And is, is that something you think about when you're announcing or is like, is that something that just kind of comes naturally to you as an announcer, like what exactly your style is and how you're going to call a race and things like that? I think it comes to you over time. I know mine did because when I actually started, and I, I kind of left this out. My parents raced up in Knoxville for two years in 2001 and 2002 with uh, Ricky Logan and the Lucas Oil 3S. They would bring the tapes, and yes, I said tapes, back, and I would listen to them. And so I listened to Justin and Tony a lot. Well, when I found out that I was going to take over as the, the main announcer, I went back and referenced those tapes, and I would listen mainly to Tony because we were racing 410s. So my style initially was really kind of a, a ripoff of Tony Bachoven. And when I started working with other announcers, uh, Chris Steppen especially, you know, that's where I really, really learned a lot was sitting next to him and, and listening to how he would call a race and how he would – put inflection at certain points and how he would change up how he does a, a lineup, how he calls a car. He doesn't just say a name. He may just use a number. He may use a sponsor and a number. You know, he, he didn't say the same thing just over and over and over again. And that, that got me thinking. And even in talking to him, how many different ways can you say a driver's running the bottom? How many different ways can you call a slide job? You know, there's more than one way of saying they're on the cushion, you know? So, Chris, I really owe a lot of credit to, to teaching me because he would sit down and just talk with me. But my my initial style was really very much like Tony. And that's where I got a lot of inspiration. And Tony, to this day, still is very much a teacher when I do get to work with him, whether it's at Knoxville or Short Track or, you know, at the Chili Bowl. You know, he, he was a mentor of mine before he really knew it. And now he's a mentor and, and really a great friend. And, you know, and even Chris, now he's the manager down at Fado Speedway Park in Las Cruces. And I still, anytime I listen to him or work with him, I still learn a lot. So, you know, I try to incorporate little bits and every announcer does this where you'll incorporate a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but you're not, you're not up there just flat stealing. But the one thing I will do is I'll throw in little quips and phrases as nods to the people who have taught me along the way. So the uh, 
the sit back, relax, and enjoy is actually a nod to Chris. Um, when I do the, your battle is for the lead, you know, I, that's a nod to Tony. And, you know, it's without guys like them, you know, I, there's no way I could do this because they taught me so much without even meaning to. Is it like a, when you guys kind of all get together, and I, I know like Chili Bowl is kind of one of those examples where there's like, you know, kind of a bunch of you guys that call the action through the week. Do you guys actually like top, you know, talk shop? Do you guys sit down and talk about announcing and, you know, things that you do or don't do or things you're trying to do better? Is that something that happens? Mm-hmm. No, no, it's, uh, that's one thing we, we've never really done that. Um, mainly we're just making fun and, you know, having fun and making fun of each other most of the time. Um, that's, you know, that's one thing, especially you, know, you throw Blake Anderson in there and that poor guy, we go after him relentlessly, but you know, <laughs> Blake's a good punching bag. No, seriously. That's one of the fun things that I really, really enjoy about working with guys like Tony and Blake and Chris and, and Randy Ward and, and a lot of the guys I get to work with all over the country. We're there to have fun and we're there to do a job, but we're there to have fun. You know, we all, we all respect and understand why we're there. You know, it's funny during Chili Bowl, we're not, a, we're not fighting for who's going to announce. We're fighting to see, well, do you want to? No, do you want to? No, do you want to? You know, there's the ego's not there. You know, I'm not there to one up them. They're not there to one up me. And, that, and, and if that's what we're there for, we're there for the wrong reasons. You know, we're not the show. We're a part of the show. Um, you know, like we've talked about, like if we're doing recording, like me and Tony have had conversations about, well, you know, I'm wanting to, to record a commercial and I showed them, well, this is what I use and this is how I do it and this and that. And, but as far as the actual announcing side of it, I don't think I've sat and really had a conversation with anybody about, well, how do you do this or how do you do that as far as your announcing? I wanted to ask you about Chili Bowl specifically. Uh, you know, obviously that's probably one of the places people hear you a lot. I would assume um, is the kind of specific challenges of calling races there, and with things being so small there, so tight, and, and, and action kind of switching out so often. Like, what are kind of unique challenges of, of calling the Chili Bowl versus calling, you know, an ASCS race or you know a sprint car race across the country? There's so much going on, uh, and there's so much information to decipher at any one time. It- try not to get it crossed up in your head the other thing too is it's so loud even with the mufflers it's really hard to to overdo it because you can't hear yourself so that's one thing you have to kind of teach yourself is you have to have a feel for where you're at and don't scream um one of the good things this year with telstar technologies they've actually redid the pa system a couple of years ago and this year they got it set up where we're actually able to have headphones. We're not using headsets just because with the headset, there's still way too much ambient that you pick up. So at least with the the mic, you're able to point it directly at you and kind of mask some of that out. But with the headphones, this is one of the first years I've ever been able to actually hear what Tony or Randy have been saying. And it made it where we could co-call races where before what, you know, me and Tony or Randy would do is, we just do hand signals. So if if Tony was done, he'd do this. Or you'd see a dip on the mic. And that's how we knew to go ahead and take over. But now we were able to hear each other so we could carry with the same battle instead of going from one end to the other, one end to the other. So that was really kind of neat. And that took out a lot of the challenge of, you know, how do we how do we work together without basically being able to hear each other at all? What's the difficulties of Saturday? Like, you know, I know races, you know, start eight, eight thirty, and you're you're going to go late into the night with so many races to call through the day. I know you guys kind of do a rotation, but are there kind of unique challenges of of calling that Saturday action? Not really, because you're you're still you're in that rotation. So 
you know, the only challenge that I run into is with the announcing, I'm also doing the website. I'm also doing social. I'm also taking notes. I'm, I'm getting ready for press and, and trying to, you know, have information going there. Um, but the challenge isn't really the chili bowl. It's the shootout because you're going, you know, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. or later every day. And, you know, everybody talks about, oh, man, Chili Bowl, you know, six days, you know, it's going to no, 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 no. You can actually get a little bit of sleep during the Chili Bowl during the shootout. You know, when you're talking 1,100 entries and you're, you know, your biggest class is 330 cars, and that's just one of five classes that have over 300, it is absolutely just daunting. And it's funny. There's only two announcers at the shootout, but there's four at the Chili Bowl. How much like prep time? I mean, like, you know, I, I, I've talked to Johnny, I've talked to Blake, I've talked to Tony, I mean, I've talked to all these guys and it's like, they're keeping up with, you know, a hundred drivers, a couple of hundred drivers, but how do you keep up with 1100 drivers over a couple of days? I mean, like, I mean, are we talking weeks and weeks of work leading up into that? The shootout's tough to do because a lot of these guys I will never see, but once a year you know, on the micro side of it. So the local guys I kind of keep up with for the most part, just because of Port City and now 600, you know, like now 600, I do a lot of their press releases anyway with Terry Maddox. So a lot of those names and stats I'll, I'll kind of know going into it. And a lot of it, I'm looking it up as I'm going throughout the weekend because there is so many people. It's, it's hard to sit down and figure out stats for 1,100 entries equating to 700 drivers. You know, we're Chili Bowl where we're doing the entries. I'm, I'm doing stats and figures as I'm getting the entries. So it makes it a little bit easier. And then, I, I, you know, I've talked to these guys and everybody has the spreadsheet. You Do you have the spreadsheet? I have a spreadsheet that I use. It's different from what Johnny or Tony or, or some of them use. The one that I have is actually I got from Chris. And it uses circular referencing where I can just punch in a number and bring up a driver. I'm not having to actually scroll down a printed sheet and find them. And then how much time, I mean, like if you were to guess how much time have you put into that spreadsheet over the years, do you have any idea? Oh my God. Cause I do a different spreadsheet for every single race. I'll take, I'll take a spreadsheet and like all the national drivers I'll have in it. And I just copy them over, copy them over, copy them over. And I'll just update as I go. But like the regional drivers, I'll go around to every single car before the races and I'll double check if I need to change a sponsor, if I need to move a sponsor, if they've got someone there, like, you know, example at the Hockett, Jordan Mallet, who races with us every week, one of his sponsors was there. So they had me move him further up in line to make sure that he got mentioned more, you know, and then Jordan went out and had a career weekend. So it, it was really a good race for him. Um, but I try to give the regional drivers just as much play as the national drivers, because yeah, I may only see them a couple times a year, three, four times, but they are just as important as anybody else that pulls in that pit area. So I really try to, you know, make sure I take care of their sponsors and take care of them. But I get I get to the track if I'm at the track later than noon on a race day, even if we don't start till eight, I'm I've got anxiety. I'm in a panic because I'm thinking I got to get set up. I got to do banners. I, I've got all these other things I need to do before I can focus on trying to get more information on these drivers. And what's nice is throughout the years, a lot of times the regional guys, their sponsor information will stay the same. So you can just kind of copy it over, but I still want to make sure that I'm going around and asking them when they're pulling in, what do I need to say or do I need to change anything? So as soon as that gate opens, I'm, I'll make 
it feels like a hundred laps around the pit area, just double checking. One of my favorite things, I went to the Chili Bowl a couple of years ago and came up into the announcing stand with you. I kind of wanted to see what you guys' perspective was, but I took some photos of you guys announcing, and my favorite thing about you was like how animated you get. And like, I mean, you were standing up and moving around. I was going to say, you had to duck. Oh my God, I loved it. It was so good. But like, is that something, you know, do, do, do you realize you even do that? Or is, is it just like you just need to get up to keep that energy up? I don't realize how much I move until somebody tells me. Um, <laughs> and I didn't realize how much I really moved until I got filmed one day and uh, Kent Nelson at Texas Motor Speedway. I knew I was doing a little bit of movement, but I didn't realize I was like making laps around the booth the way I was. He posted it to Twitter. And then Ross actually said it to uh, uh, its song by Eminem. I think it was Till I Collapse. And it, it was funny, but I can't sit and call her. If I have to sit and call a race, I'm, I'm doing, I'm constantly doing this. I, you know, my, I look at it as if I'm not enthusiastic about what I'm doing. If I'm not into that race, I'm doing a disservice. You know, I'm, if I don't actually get into what I'm doing, then, you know, cause your excitement, just like when I talked about Alan earlier, the excitement that I have translates to the people that are listening. And I'm not just getting loud to be loud. It's if there's an exciting race, I'm going to get amped up no matter what. I, you know, I try not to scream, but at times I'm going to get loud and I'm going to talk faster than I should probably ever talk. I'm going to trip over my tongue. And, but you know, when you, when you're enjoying what you're doing, you can't help but get excited. I wanted to ask you about the kind of unique experience we've had this year, obviously all of the COVID things going on, but that kind of early part of the season where we had all of the kind of iRacing stuff happening. And I know you called a bunch of those races. What was it like kind of trying to shift and be able to call a race from your house with just screens? You know, what was it a big leap for you to be able to do that? It was interesting because with the Lucas Oil Racing TV, we have a screen in front of us and I am the world's worst at looking at that screen. I, I guarantee you, I I can tell you right now, I am not a television broadcaster. You know, probably if that was my only option, just like in iRacing, I'll do it. And it was actually, it taught me a little bit more to watch the screen. And I had some experience with it, but I was still terrible at it. But because that was my only option was to watch the screen, um, it actually was kind of interesting because with the guys that were carrying the actual stream for us, if I said, hey, I want to look back through the field, they just start following me back through the field because I was able to read the ticker. So they would just start following me. And I said, all right, we're going to go back and check on the leader. They could pop right back to it. So it was almost like I was quasi directing what the action was, but they were great at following me. And it was actually a lot of fun because when you forgot that you were calling essentially a video game, it was just as exciting as calling real life. You know, I, I really had a blast doing that. It was it was different. It was unique. It's not something that I necessarily would want to do again in the circumstances that we had to do it. But it was really a lot of fun. The, now the circumstances around it suck. Yeah, absolutely. 
I wanted to ask you, you mentioned earlier about, you know, cutting down trees and all of the other things. And if there is one thing that's always going to be the case when you when you work in dirt racing, you work for a track, you work for a series, you're always going to end up doing something well beyond what your kind of original job description was. Um, And one of the things I always talk about, you know, my time working for the outlaws, we had a period where there was a problem with the roof in our in our building. And it was literally raining inside of our building. And I'm in the back with Tom Deary and Brian Carter and, you know, Brian Dunlap and Ross. And we're, we're literally like sweeping water out the back door. And I looked at Tom Deary and said, I don't ever want to hear that I didn't help you bail water. But what does that look like, you know, for you? I know you, you do press releases, you do all of these things, but like on a, on a weekly basis or on, a, you know, on a racing weekend, you know, what does a race day look like and, and how many other things besides announcing are you doing? So I'll typically try to get to a track between about 11 and noon. Try to be set up before noon, hooked into the PA, make sure that I'm not going to damage their system, uh, make sure I have all of my stuff laid out, and then I'll go down and I'll hang banners. And we don't hang banners to the extent of like what the outlaws do, but I'll do, we have these, they're four by 20 banners, and I'll put up about, you know, four, five, six of those and make sure that they're in the grandstand side where the fans can see them, where our broadcast can see them get all that done and then go down. If I need to help park, I'll help park. Um, make sure if our competition director and his wife need anything, if Matt and Ashley needs something, you know, try to help them out, help get the trailer set up, help get all the draw stuff set up, get television hooked up, get our laptops hooked up, make sure that the lineup, we can get to it, make sure that my race pass is translating back and forth. And then once I start making laps, it's, you know, from there I'm able to focus more on, on what I'm actually doing, but leading up to that, you know, if I need to help Ashley run a new loop, you know, that's part of it. And a lot of times by the time we figure out, you know, we'll test the loop and it's fine. And then once we get going, figure out that there's a problem, you know, by that point it's too late to go down and try to dig something up. But usually like a couple of times we carry the cable that actually runs from the tower down to where you hook into the loop. And we've had to run a brand new one of those a couple of times. So, when the support class is running, you know, we'll run that and and haul butt under the stands and and try to get all that fixed. So it's whatever they need me to do. If I'm capable, that's exactly what I'm going to do. When you kind of, uh, in kind of talking about all the things that you're, you're, you're doing, I, the thing that always worries me about you is that you never sleep and in, in, in kind of damning <laughs> back and forth about doing this show, you, you mentioned how you never sleep, but the, the press release stuff you do. And I, and I feel like, you know, you talking about being a publicist, you know, to, I, I would guess to most that would seem like you're a publicist for the series, but you end up doing like, you know, releases for drivers and like, you know, multiple series and all these different things. Is that something that's part of your job there? Or are you doing extra work for p- people outside? of that like how does that all kind of work together i have a couple drivers that i that i do pr for them to to make a little extra money like sam hayferty parley white if blake Hahn wants a press release done and you know i'll go ahead and do one for him um i've had car owners call up if, if they've got a driver coming in a couple times out in pennsylvania we're like hey you know could you give our drivers some some scratch and you know and let people know he's coming yeah sure not a problem um, but any given weekend, I could have anywhere from one to five different parts of our series running. So, you know, the national tour stuff, of course, I'm there, I'm live, and I can write a lot more detailed press release with the regional stuff. Before my race pass really got to where it is today, I would have to wait until that race was done. Then they would send me, either call me and read off everybody that was there. 
And I would, in turn, when I was done with that, go enter everything and then write the press release. Or they would send me pictures of the draw sheet and then they would send me pictures of the lineups and the finishes. When we started doing that, that really sped up the process. Um, now it's to where a lot of times, like the Warrior region, Sooner region, um, our desert and Southwest regions, they're able to put in everything on their own. And then what they do is they send me the pictures throughout the night and I can go in and double check it and make sure that, you know, they didn't transpose a number because, you know, hell to be human, it, it will happen. Hell, I've done it. I did it uh, Saturday. Transposed a couple of drivers in the A and, and they caught it. So we, and it was before the press release went out. So we just went ahead and corrected it real quick. And that's made it to where instead of getting to bed as the sun comes up, I'm at least able to get to bed between, you know, like three and four thirty in the morning. But and, and it doesn't sound like much, but it really does help in the in in the grand scheme of things. So most most weekends on a Friday night, I'll probably be in bed by about two thirty on a Saturday night, depending on what we have going. I might be in bed by about three thirty four o'clock. My, you mentioned my race pass. My my literally last guest on the show was Josh Holt from from my race pass, and I'm I'm curious after talking to him, what does that software kind of do from your perspective, and how much does it help to be able to have that technology kind of across the different uh, series that you work with? It's interesting. I don't know. If Josh actually brought it up. We were the first series to ever utilize the my race pass platform back when it was called driver websites, and we have been the guinea pigs on a lot of what it does today and a lot of the functions that we're able to do. Um, I can tell you how easy that system is to use. As they're coming across the line, I'm doing 10 key on the laptop and I'm putting their finishes into the website. So the heat races, I get without a problem. B mains, I'll usually get about the top 10 and then uh, go to timing and scoring. Same thing with the A main. And if I don't get them, as I'm doing the next lineup, I can still get everything entered and posted. That's how easy that system is to use. And the way we've worked with them and they've started to work with other series and, and ideas and everything, we're able to bounce off each other. It is amazing how fast and how simple that system is to use now and how quickly we're able to get information out. And, you know, I had this discussion with, with Bill Wright up in Knoxville this year where you know, I still remember waiting for the speed sport to show up. Or now, if we don't have results posted three minutes after the race, we're getting bombarded. Well, who won? Well, where's the results? You know, and at that point, it's I've had to run down, do the interview with the winner, and come back up and finish entering the stuff. And I'm laughing, going, it's all right. You'll get it. Don't worry. <laughs> but it's what's made it really nice is on during national events, I'm able to keep on the front side of the website an actual running updated blog on our news feed because once i get the results in i hit the click a button and it says media format and it brings up the finish already in format ready to go i just copy paste done and i'm able to keep that running on the home side of the website so whenever i'm done at the end of the night i don't have to retype the results i can copy paste make any corrections if i had to change a finish somewhere because i either transposed a number or somebody got disqualified you know, it takes me seconds instead of hours now. 
I, I think that's one of the things, and, and it's something that I worked a lot on, you know, when I was with the Outlaws, is trying to find ways to to make things easier, make things quicker, because I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, with a lot of these series, there's one person, maybe two people that are kind of doing these jobs, and it's like as simple as you can make things and as quick as you can make things go, that's really, really important, because when they're freed up to do other stuff, then they're going to put out better content through the night, and somebody like yourself who's doing announcing and, you know, writing releases and doing all of these things, like it's really important to be able to find those things out as quickly as you can. I mean, even at Chili Bowl, I have no idea how you even keep up with a Chili Bowl Twitter account through the day. It's insane how much stuff comes out. The good thing about that is because I do have Tony, Randy, and and, and Anderson there. I forgot his first name for a second, Blake. Blake. Um, <laughs> yeah, that guy, you know, the all-star. That, that other guy, yeah. Um, it makes it a lot easier to where I'm able to, to do more updates and I'm able to focus a little bit more on that side. And that's something that I really wish I could do more because that's one thing that the outlaws really do well is on this on Twitter is, is getting updates out. But when I'm trying to call a race and do that, it does make it a little challenging. Um, so, you know, as I go forward, I'm trying to find different ways of making it better. Um, you know, before when you could integrate Facebook into Twitter, you could just post to Facebook and it would cross over and it would give a link to whatever. So people could go click on it. You know, now I use a program that's Hootsuite, I think is what I actually use now, to where it'll post to both platforms. So I'm only, again, only having to do it one time. I'm not having to post, you know, copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. And then also with my race pass, you can go on the backside of the website and you can actually get the, the result reports. So I'm able to screenshot that from my phone and post that to where you have the entire rundown in one shot instead of having to search through a bunch of tweets to find heat one, heat two, heat three. Now it's one image. Yeah. And, you know, even during the shootout in Chili Bowl, I'll do that from the computer just because we don't have enough cell service in the building. So I'm able to do that and get all that posted. So you're not just constantly going copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. It's just one shot. For those that don't know, and, and I can't say that I am super educated myself on this, I know obviously about the Lucas OASCS National Tour and, and all of the regional tours, but how do those things kind of all fit together? How many regional tours are there, and, and how does that kind of all work as, as one kind of bigger organization? So you have the National Tour, and obviously that's that's the top level, and you know that's where you know the, the quarter-million-dollar point fund and, and everything is there. And the regional tours help stabilized racing in a region and it provides a decent point fund for drivers to run for and a set of rules that is uniform across the board it's the same engine rules for everybody it's the same format for everybody there when you go from one region to another you're not having to ask questions of what format are we running today you know when you go from the southwest regions the lone star region to the sooner region it's all the same format. It's a uniform set. The only difference now is in our non-wing divisions. We started bringing that in the last couple of years. And with the non-wing, there they were already set tours. So we said, okay, run your program. We will do PR for you. We will help you. We will do press releases. We'll manage all your points. We'll provide a point fund for you. If you want a time, time. If you want to run our format, run our format. But just run our right rear. So that's where, like the Elite Series, Nathan has built an incredible non-wing series down there, and he's been a lot of fun to work with. And, you know, they're averaging easily 25, 26 cars a night and really has some great, great racing down there. So that's the only side where it is a little different. But 
in the end, they all still run our format. It's just with them, you know, if you want to run a 377 or a 410, that's fine. You know, but on the wing side of it, it has to be the ASCS Brodex heads. So the regions ultimately feed into the national tour. You look at our, our, our national tour right now. That's where Garrett Williamson came from. That's where Travis Reed in those regional tours are able to move up and, and progress. So kind of taking a, a, a break a little bit from, 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 you know, kind of some of this other conversation, kind of jumping over to some racing this year. Give me your kind of overall impressions of, of the ASCS National Tour season to this point. You know, Hayford T bleeding the points. Uh, you know, what are some things that have stood out to you this season? You know, it, at the start of the season, Sam was going to, you know, focus more on his 410 program. and He was going to run the All-Stars. And, you know, once everything kind of fell apart with COVID and, and all the seasons went up in the air, you know, it, it kind of turned into a weird deal and he started, you know, kind of came back over to the ASCS side. And I, and I know ultimately he wants to go back and focus on his 410 program, but I mean, Sam is Sam. And if you're going to, if you want to beat somebody in the 360 side right now, he's the one to beat. And he proved that over the weekend at the hockey where, you know, yeah, Mark Smith dominated the first two nights, but Sam was there on the last night. You know, it's, he's just as tough as ever. And, you know, if anybody wants to say, well, it's because he has better funding or has better this or better that. When Sam was winning championships with us before, he had no funding, and it was all what he could bring in. So, I mean, Sam is, is an incredible talent behind the wheel. And, you know, Roger has really started to, to put a couple of solid finishes together. And, you know, he's given chase right now. And you, know, you talk about from one season to the other where you can really be riding a high to, to a low. I mean, that's been Blake this year where last year, you know, this time of year, it's like he could do no wrong. And, you know, he didn't even make the show at the hockey. He had to take a provisional. So, you know, it's the guys that seem like they were, you know, really, really struggling last year have, have kind of come out of that funk and they really had a decent year. And the guys that, you know, with, with the exception of Sam, that really had a good year last year, have kind of struggled this year. But, you know, we've got a great group of drivers. We've got a, a really strong rookie class. You know, Dylan Westbrook coming out this year. You know, he has four track championships at Oswakin Speedway, and he's had some great runs. You know, leads that the rookie title race right now. Chase Randall at 15, almost 16, um, you know, came out of the micro ranks. Great car control, has had some really solid runs this year. And, and like anybody his age, he, he's tripped a little bit. and He's made some mistakes, and, but he's bounced back. You know, and he's done really well. He hasn't let it, you know, affect him, but he's also learned from it. So, you know, overall, yeah, we may not have had the, all the races that we, that we wanted because of everything that's happened, but we still had, you know, 15 shows and 10 different winners. So there's still a lot of trying to find the right word, a lot of variation. You know, you really still don't know who's going to win going into any given night. And that's one of the neat things about ASCS is I kind of refer to it as the blue collar national tour because you can still have that job and still run the national tour. And, you know, I understand we're not going to have 90 races a year like the World of Outlaws, but we're not set up to have 90 races a year. Most of our guys aren't set up for that. Most of our teams are set up to have about a 55, 60 race schedule. And that's really about it. You know, so, but you look at the guys that, that moved on to the Outlaws and were successful with the Outlaws. They got their start with us, whether it was Shane or Darren or Jason Sides, Jason Johnson. You know, this is where they got their start. So running this, if you want to be successful 
and learn how to race on the road and learn how to be consistent, this is where you start and it teaches you so you can move on to bigger things. I wanted to ask you, you guys had your first uh, female driver win a, a national tour event this year in, in Harley White. I wanted to ask you about that race and, and kind of what you think that means for the future. You know, it's interesting because I, I also do the PR for Harley. I started doing that this year. And she is an incredibly, incredibly talented driver. And I don't look at her as a female driver. She is a competitor. She's another driver on the racetrack. Um, but for her to come out and win that race the way she did, because she went in about the second or third lap and almost dumped it, recovered, ran Derek Hagar down at Riverside, which he, him and Tim Crawley are king there, and got by him and held him off through about five dive bomb slide jobs and didn't let him get in her head. That really speaks volumes to how talented and how focused she is as a driver. And then to have Johnny Herrera as her crew chief, you know, to be able to get her where she is now and help get that confidence in her and get that program where it needs to be. It really meant the world, you know, I know for the series and for her to, to get that, get that gorilla off her back and prove, yes, I can win at this level. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to stand there and say, well, you know, she's a woman and she this and nobody gets special treatment. You know, if you want to compete out here, you have to, to, to have broad shoulders and be ready to compete. But for her to win as a woman in at this level, I mean, really speaks volumes. It really does. Do you get a chance to really watch that much other racing outside of the things that you're covering? I mean, do you get a chance to watch the Outlaws, the All-Stars, you know, maybe some late model modified action? When I get to, um, and I enjoy getting to watch other things because, yeah, I'm a sprint car fan. I love it all. If it goes on, I want to watch it. I don't care if it's a lawnmower race. Um, I'm one of those rare sprint car fans that really does enjoy modifieds. Um, in fact, I've worked with Joe Duvall this year and, we did a, he does his three, three day USRA tour through Oklahoma. And I went and called those shows and just had an absolute blast. Um, so, you know, I'll go out to Creek County when I get a chance. And, you know, sometimes you just need to watch a good old fashioned Saturday night stock car race because one, it's good racing. And two, pretty good comedy <laughs> when you've gotten opportunities to go do other things go call other races things like that is the preparation any different you know when you're just going to go show up and, and maybe call one of those races for joe um, or do you have to kind of maybe do some extra work to get yourself ready for those i mean there's a little extra work just because you know i hadn't really called a, a modified race since 2000 uh, well i've called a couple but they've been random but like to sit down and focus on calling a modified race I haven't done that since 2011. So, you know, to, for people that follow the modifieds, when I was still calling them weekly, the chassis to have was still a DNM. And that chassis doesn't even exist anymore. Now everybody's got an MB2 custom. So it's it was interesting to go through and get the information on some of these drivers and, and get their sponsor info and kind of get some background because the stuff that I knew from back then where, you know, GRT was really coming in where I was at and people ran dirt works and, and bills built and DNMs. Now it's NB2 customs and a Shaw by this and a Phillips by that. And, you know, uh, it, it was really, it was kind of a culture shock for a minute going, man, everything I knew about modifieds is kind of out the window. It's almost like calling a, a late model race anymore. 
When was the last time you actually got to go to a race as a fan? Ooh. Oh, God, you're making me think now. Off the top of my head, I really couldn't tell you. <laughs> um, even when I'm sitting in the stands, I, I can't do it. I've, I've been on this side of the sport for so long. I either have to live tweet, I have to update, I have to do something, or I, I have to be working on a car, or I have to be scraping mud. I, you know, I, I started off in the pits working on cars and, you know, then transitioned over to this side of it. So, um, I know we had a rain out a few years ago. We were supposed to be in Indiana and Michigan, and the only race we got in was Michigan. And we all hauled butts in Oxville, and I was actually a crew member with Wayne Johnson that night. And, you know, that was fun. I, I love going back and doing that stuff. But to sit down and actually be a fan at a race, I could tell you the last time I did it. <laughs> you probably couldn't do it even if you wanted to. No, I'm, I'll sit there. Uh, I'll just fidget the whole time. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you go. Uh, you've actually given me a ton of time today, so I certainly appreciate it. I, I know you're a busy guy, but what's your schedule look like going forward? And, and uh, you, you know, do you get an off season? I, you know, we always say that's such a misnomer in our sport, but uh, do, do you get any time <laughs> off here uh, upcoming? Oh, no, no, we've actually, of course, with, you know, again, with everything that's going on with COVID, you know, we were supposed to be a TMS and, you know, with all the restrictions that are still in place, as you well know, in NASCAR and what's going on, it's, you know, they're focusing on the cup race, which, you know, it's, it is what it is. And it's a bummer because I really love going to that track and, you know, Eddie and, and Ken and everybody there are so wonderful to work with. So we really look forward to going back next year. And so we've just got short track nationals here, the second and third. And then we follow that up. We'll end the season for the national tour down at Devil's Bowl with the winter nationals. And then, you know, after that, it's full on into shootout and chili bowl. So off season need not apply. Yeah. Uh, before I go, uh, I, I saw your tweet today about short track nationals. Give me the uh, give me the short track nationals elevator pitch. Why should people go check that event out? If you've never been to the short track nationals, you know you, you go to these these marquee events around the country, and, and a lot of them are run on three eighths and a half miles. If you've never seen an event like this on a quarter mile high bank track like I thirty, you are truly missing out. You're talking a foot tall curve, eighty plus sprint cars and two nights where it is truly anybody's race to win. It's, you know, 33 years going on now, and it definitely needs to be on your bucket list. 10,041 to win, and it'll draw drivers from all over the country, and you will have surprise winners in that one. So, of course, if you've – I feel like if you've, if you've never been to I-30, you just haven't really been to a good old-fashioned dirt track. <laughs> Definitely. Well, Brian Holbert, I certainly appreciate you taking some time today and uh, giving me uh, some insight into your world and, and talking some racing. But uh, thanks for being on the show. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I always enjoy chatting with the announcers. It takes a certain type of person to put yourself out there on the microphone, and I think they have a unique perspective on the racing. Thanks again to Brian for his time. You can find the Dirt Tracker podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or where you get podcasts. You can also watch the shows on YouTube. For more cool dirt racing stuff, visit dirttracker.com and follow Dirt Tracker on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok.